everybody, this is Dina007 joining you for the next in our edition of Wolfcast Reviews of House of the Dragons. As a reminder, we will be spoiling potentially anything in the published works of George R. R. Martin and Game of Thrones insofar as it kept up with the books, but we will not be spoiling Game of Thrones insofar as it diverted from them. I am joined today by David HHH. Hi, I'm David on the Discord, David HHH, and all that sort of stuff. <laughs> cool. Uh, by L. Hey, y'all. It's L Nettles on Discord. By Michael. Hey, Carl Wadeggy on Discord. By Sarah. Hey, it's Sarah, aka Dr. Blood. By We Are Mere Mortals, of course, in the presence of Patrick. Good day. I am Patrick, the tall on Discord, tall also in real life. <laughs> <laughs> and I can very much vouch for the tallness of Patrick. And by Hannah. Hey, it's Hannah Shadow Baby on WordPress. Uh, Wing Shadow on Discord. Yeah, and we're very pleased that you and your family are safe and sound, Hannah. Thank the you. Events of the weekend. Uh, um, and we thank David HHH and, and the Lord Baron Zander for, for keeping us updated because I was genuinely genuinely upset so good to know that we're all safe and sound and uh, hug your families close this weekend boys and girls listening things can happen let's get on with today's show so i'm going to do the same order and just go with a quick lemon cake rating out of five and then how we're going to do it today is we're going to discuss relationships and we're going to discuss how relationships are influenced by ambition and sex because that very much seems like The theme of the show, so just to get your juices flowing and your brains ticking over of how we're going to do it, we're going to do five sets of relationships. We're going to go, I think, in ascending order of creepiness and craziness. So we're going to start off with Alison and Viserys, then Alison and Rhaenyra, Viserys and Otto, Damon and Rhaenyra, and then Rhaenyra and Kristen. So that is how we're going to frame today's discussion. But let's once again start with David HHH with your lemon cake ratings for this episode and how, you know, you've not been on a wolf cast for a bit. So how, yep. how is this compared to the other episodes in the season? Um, I like this one probably more than the others. I'm going to give this one a solid five, but there's some math involved. So I'm going to give it five for the story, for being kind of everything I want from a George R.R. R. Martin world. You know, we've got the politics, we've got the personal relationships, you've got betrayals, you've got all sorts of the stuff you want from these from these series. Um, I'm giving it a bonus point for giving us Fabian Frankel shirtless and naked. Um, although I'm taking a, that point away from making it creepy and cringy. But still a <laughs> so five. Still five. Right. <laughs> is, is that your favorite episode so far, I'm guessing? I think so. I think so, yeah. Okay, very good. Elle, how about you? Slightly elevated from uh, last week. I gave it a 4.25, uh, mostly because I personally, I feel like I'm starting to see the previous actions and inactions uh, in the last three previous episodes of everything that happened. They looks like they're starting to bear fruit and the transitioning of all the dynamics of everyone's relationship, everyone you actually just named. Uh, I for one, thought um, Damon and uh, Ray, uh, Rhaenyra had really good chemistry, and I really didn't feel as grossed out as I anticipated on that scene. I was actually more grossed out with Rhaenyra and Kristen. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, I felt that was like mad cringy as compared to Rhaenyra and Damon. So um, 
I thought it was, uh, I definitely would uh, give it 4.25. I think that's a good one for it. Very appropriate. Fantastic. How about you, Michael? Yeah, I really like this. So I'll give it 4 out of 4.5 out of 5. All the character interactions were fun, seeing more of King's Landing. Uh, it had no cringy battle scenes. I really enjoyed all of this. There were a few nitpicks, but they were super minor. So good impression overall. Maybe the best episode yet. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I'm going to just dive in and say same score as Michael, same reasoning. It's a 4.5. I'm only docking it half a point, really, because it mentioned the prophecy again, which is stupid. But other than that, I thought we got real character evolution, which is what I missed last week, and no stupid battle scenes. Sarah, how about you? Um, I think, yeah, somewhere right around the same, like 4.5, 4.75. I really felt like this was experience rather than an episode like <laughs> I feel like my my analytical think analytical thinking was like not engaged for, for a lot of what was happening um so I I do feel kind of like it it washed over me rather than um than sort of going scene by scene the way that um some of the other ones have but it was a very different experience and I continued to be absolutely enthralled by how different the tone and the energy um and and even the the sort of thematic tensions are from week to week so I'm, I've really been enjoying that but um but yeah it continues to be really really strong for me great so so far everyone's really into it is is our tall overlord going to throw a spanner in the works here with a negative rating first of all I'll start docking by by docking some points or a half or yeah half a point from uh, from mentioning the prophecy as well it was the only thing that really took me out of the episode really uh I have to give this a 4.25. It it is inarguably better than last episode, and last episode I gave four, so it has to be a, a 4.25. And I think if it, it hadn't talked about um, the prophecy, it would have been a 4.75. I would say that I felt dirty watching this episode. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I I've, I've uh, <laughs> la- watching Game of Thrones. You had an, a feeling that some of the 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 whorehouse scenes were sort of comical almost. When this, I it, it did not feel feel like Game of Thrones when they entered that whorehouse. That's for sure. So yeah, a, a steamy four point two five, I think. Yeah, everything about yeah. the. Uh, that's such a good like observation because I, I felt like everything about it felt so voyeuristic, and I wonder if. Um that had something to do with the fact that it was directed by a woman and like she, she Mm -hmm. very deliberately directed it from like a female perspective, um, which I thought was really interesting, but, um, but yeah, definitely like the energy was, was really, really different as far as like the intimacy Mm -hmm. and um, even the, even the, the gross, like, you know, why I can think of England, like, you know what I mean? But everything about it was just like, like, oh my God, I shouldn't be seeing this, you know? And it's not just because you're like, oh, it's penises, you know, but like, <laughs> that there was a, like a forbidden um, sort of element. Yeah, to, but to there is a maturity there, isn't it? With having mm-hmm. HBO now in the world of having intimacy coordinators, having female directors. Mm-hmm. Um, we, yeah. We'll get into it later, but the way they depict sex is incredibly different to yeah, Game right. of Thrones. And I think all for Definitely. the better. And yeah, in so far as it makes you feel as Sarah said, just feel, not think. And as far as it makes you feel dirty, I think that's deliberate, not unintentional, not comic. It's very, you can still disagree with what they've shown, but you cannot disagree with the intentionality and the care that has been shown. Um, Okay, uh, last but definitely not least, Hannah, how about you? Well, 
Uh, I think that there are moments that had a higher rating for me, but overall, I'm going to give it a three, 3.5 maybe. Um, I completely, when you were speaking, Patrick, about that Valyrian knife, I'm like, yes, exactly. It was so out of place. And just like of all the damn times, why, why is this happening right now? And it was, I don't know, it was a little too... Gandalf giving Frodo the ring for me in, in some ways. Um, so there was there was definitely some great moments in it, but and it was much better than last week. But I'm still not over the moon about any of it. Okay, so there you go. You got a full range of opinion there. I think we're all definitely more positive than last week. Low base. Uh, maybe Hannah the least. Um, maybe me. Um, uh, I don't know. Like a lot of us, who really like it. Let us get into the meat of this episode, which is all about sex, intimacy, relationships, how people use each other in this world for political ends. And as I said before, we're going to look at five different relationship pairings. The first one is Alicent and Viserys. And to summarize here, we have Viserys um, very openly mocking her when she suggests that Damon might want to see her tapestries in front of people. Um, calling her to his bed on demand, even though she's gone to sleep for sex that she endures rather than enjoys. And then finally her, I guess, having a conversation with Renera where she explains, um, or, you know, that you just see that that is definitely a marriage that she had to do because it was a power brokerage. Whereas maybe in prior episodes, we'd wondered how far she was into it and wanted the power and therefore was more than happy to play this game. Or maybe she was then, and now we've moved forward in time and she's become jaded by it. So we also get a sex scene that's intercut with another sex scene in a brothel um, that is has chemistry. This one clearly doesn't. How do you all feel about this relationship, what it says or doesn't say about both Alison and Viserys' character, and how it was filmed and how successfully it was depicted? I thought the juxtaposition was... Obviously really striking. I think it accomplished exactly what they were trying to do. Um, I thought it was real gross also, which is <laughs> probably also something they were trying to do. Yep. Um, but the extent of his like physical decay and just kind of decrepitude was so mm. nauseating. Um, but again, speaks to something that I've been kind of picking up and enjoying all along is the what I was calling like the sort of banal disgust of this world by zoning out and staring at like the rat on your lavish bed canopy like that's so I mean that's why you had the canopies right so like I don't know it was it was simultaneously like kind of heartbreaking and and realistic and but it didn't feel exploitative in a way that like a lot of the Game of Thrones sex scenes would you know the ones that mm -hmm. were supposed to be like bad um so I I appreciated that it was done kind of like respectfully for for both of them even though you're still watching it and mm -hmm. thinking like this is a gross old man taking sexual advantage of a of a girl like you kind of didn't hate either either one of them for that which um was and i thought very very deftly negotiated um, how about you david he sounded like you had comments yeah i don't know i mean yeah definitely it it just was creepy and it was meant to be and their relationship like 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 you were like you were all saying it it seemed like before she was like kind of looking forward to this relationship and enjoying it and now she's just bearing it you know and and definitely you can tell that 
this the sex scenes are definitely directed by a woman because it's just a totally i mean it's night and day how different everything is but particularly this scene and i have to say i'm really glad that we didn't have to see either of the girls boobs i was worried they were going to go there i mean because technically both of the actresses are older one's 19 and one's 22 i think and so they could do it but it just would have felt so so much more icky than it was and it already was pretty icky <laughs> yeah i mean it was very much trying to show Alison as a victim and i think it would have been exploited well you could argue they were all exploitative right in, in game of thrones but <laughs> i think they were definitely showing her as a victim and i felt even before her scenes with Renera, which we'll get to that this very much softened my opinion of her i know people had interpreted her differently and even in the books right i mean people mm-hmm. Some people really don't like Alison, as a meme pointed out in a podcast of Ice and Fire, our parent podcast this week, which had an episode on House of the Dragons. Um, how do you think this? Do you think there was character evolution or revelation in this? Yes. Uh, between the two, yeah, Patrick. Well, I think that Rhaenyra realizes that every everything she she's fighting against is is basically what her friend is is going through. And and she is powerless to do anything about it. While while Rhaenyra fights with with teeth, tooth and claw to just not be like her mother, it's kind of interesting the way that she is fighting so hard to not become her mother. When it then turns out that her best friend is the one who's really inheriting that uh, legacy. And also, I I want to note that us seeing this uh, seeing Alison with her child gr- crying and stuff like that it's, it sort of shows that even if Alison was in into the relationship into the idea of you know marrying a king she still got stuck with a lot of things that is difficult to know uh, anything about really before you get into it like parenthood and stuff like that and being almost <laughs> like yes you have servants but you're like doesn't look like Viserys is very uh, active, hands on. I'm gonna call massive <laughs> bullshit that the Queen of the Seven Kingdoms would be dealing with a crying infant in the middle. Like yeah. I yeah. will would absolutely never, not. Happy. Like no. Unless yeah. she wanted to. I mean, she could. Have, she may have chosen. Oh, yeah. But even if you wanted to, you wouldn't be let. I mean, you know that was a big thing with Princess Diana. She wanted to be hands on, and they were like, no. So this is one of the things I really liked about this episode that I think they did a good job painting over from the last episode was the relationship between her and Viserys and especially that scene um, when she's called out of her bed and then to his. Right. Uh, in, In a relationship where you're not necessarily in love and her dad could have made a much more horrid match. It's not like she's married to a Joffrey, right? Viserys is a good king and a good man, I think. But there's a difference between that and actually being in love. And I think that the happiness that we see her with in the last episode, it was unsettling for me. But looking back from this episode, what I connected was, oh, she's pregnant. So she's she gets a break from. Oh, wow. So she's, cool. so she's in her own and she's got agency and she's got a lot of positive attention. So she's probably mm. enjoying the break and not and having... And also being happy before. about being pregnant. I mean, you can hate a marriage but love the children. Right. Again, Princess Diana, exactly. I think, is a really good example of that. I just found it interesting thinking of consent during this whole episode. And I thought, when it comes to Alison, she doesn't say yes, she doesn't say no, she acquiesces. How far is consent 
even a concept because how far could she even have consented or otherwise to her marriage? I mean, this is just a world in which consent for highborn ladies like Alicent and Sansa doesn't kind of exist. There's no room for it to exist, mm-hmm. right? It's an anachronistic right. concept. And that made me incredibly sad because I thought, oh, we'll get into it, right? Did she consent? Does she not consent? I was like, well, it doesn't even make sense in the context of her marriage. Yeah, it's not even really a question, is yeah. it? Um, During that scene when they're in bed together, you know, it really reminded me of something you'd see on I Will Destroy You or I May Destroy You, you know? Yeah, yeah, very much so. And it was really uncomfortable to watch. Yeah. I will say, though, I I think they, again, I mean, it was sort of of treading that fine line, but I do think that on one hand, you could look at this and say, like, okay, well, this is maybe the best that you could expect in a world like this. But then, I mean, there there is a genuine, like, tenderness to their relationship, I feel. And, you know, I, I certainly don't think that it's, you know, sexual. I don't think it's particularly romantic. But, you know, I mean, just the kindness that she showed him in the bath when she realized that the servant mm-hmm. was hurting him. Um, or the the conversation that they had in front of the window where he seemed genuinely to seek and appreciate her counsel and her perspective. Um, I mean, those mm-hmm. are all things that... You know, yeah, like it, I think it could. I think it could really go either way, and I think it's really important to sort of recognize that that it could be like, oh, that's so sad that like that's the best you could hope for, or you know, there is some genuine, um, some genuine good in this, um, this otherwise. Yeah, but I mean, that is oh. the marriage that Catelyn had that everyone else right. had, and it, if it matures into love, then great, and if it doesn't, mm-hmm. then it doesn't. I mean, it's just like a lot of arranged marriages, right? Sorry, mm-hmm. El, were you trying to say something? Oh, um, just about the I may destroy you comment. I, I think that mm-hmm. was a really, really good comparison with those sex scenes because none of those were intimate or beautiful or just even remotely passionate in that kind of positive way you would see, you know, coupling. I was just saying that was a really, it really reminded me of that a lot. Yeah. And I would say to the listener, if you haven't watched Michaela Cole's I May Destroy You. Um, it's a very powerful but very Heavy. harsh piece of TV to watch because it's very triggering if you've been through any negative sexual experiences. But for female-centered writing and uh, the way in which sex and sexual abuse is depicted, um, really powerful. So I'd highly recommend it. Do you guys think that her, her relationship with him will change or his relationship with her rather will change now that he's uh, unhanded his hand? That's a good point. I don't think so. I, I think he genuinely cares about her and I think he's genuinely grateful for the comfort and, and company that she's brought back into his life. I don't I don't see him mm-hmm. holding her accountable for, for Otto's sins. Yeah, it can be, it can be a bit bitchy though. Well, let's get into yeah. let's get into the next coupling, right? The next coupling is um, is Otto and Viserys. So let's talk about that. So, in the course of this episode, we've seen Viserys previously depicted as maybe a little bit weak, a little bit vacillating, mm-hmm. not clear in oh, his well. direction, and a therefore <laughs> storing up yeah, and therefore storing up problems for the future. Be more forceful with Otto, although there is a very pathetic moment where he says i now realize that you weren't just sending your daughter to comfort me you were putting her in my path for marriage and like you literally just figured that out um but by the end of the episode evidently um and we'll get into that Renera trades getting married for otto being removed as hand and apparently her father goes for it so how do you feel let's just focus in on on viserys and otto how do you feel there's character evolution there 
and sex being used for power, but obviously trading the sex of, of your daughter for power. Uh, going first, let me just pick it random. L. Uh, I think um, that she is actually going to be more resentful in the near future about that with her dad getting fired. I think that kind of in a way, Otto is going to still be the hand of the king via from Hightower. I think that whatever he left, that power that he left and that influence that he left, it's still kind of, maybe Allison is kind of going to be like him by proxy, kind of in a way that uh, it won't bode well for Allison and Viserys as far as that dynamic, which is already a dynamic that was lacking in intimacy, but that amicable part of it that they've had and what we've seen, I think that's going to go away. Yeah, it's hard to see why it wouldn't be impacted, even if she does genuinely have tenderness for her husband. I mean, I feel, yeah, it isolates her further, although not Mm -hmm. that we've seen much of her relationship with her father in this episode or indeed the previous one. David, thoughts or anyone else thoughts on this? I don't know. I mean, I feel like in in terms of her, I feel like, I mean, they're still married, so that's going to be there. And I did probably just get a little more awkward now, but I think they'll be fairly similar. In terms of Otto, it'll be interesting to see where he goes from here. And, you know, does Viserys become more paranoid of everyone now? You know, when he's now his most trusted advisor, basically has been scheming against him all this time. It just makes you feel like they make they make enemies wherever they go. I mean, even that opening mm-hmm. scene where Rhaenyra's just rejecting every house's suitor, and you think, oh, you're just pissing right. off every single house. Right. And now, now her father's going to piss off, you know. So you get Corlys and you get the Valerians on side, but now you've lost the High Towers. It's like it's it's like one of those boxes with little bubbles in, and you just can't keep everyone happy. But I I just thought Viserys came off simultaneously more likable because more forceful but then also did you just figure this out i thought you were more clever than that well i i don't know that he did just figure it out and i the reason that i question that well it's twofold one was the acting from Otto. um first when he went to tell what he knew about rhaenyra and then again in the um like when he called him for the conference to fire him like it there was he was standing kind of sideways and he he wasn't quite full facing viserys and like almost looked like he was going to cry a couple of times. And like, I just, I thought that was so powerful because I didn't understand, like he looked afraid or sad or whatever. And I, I felt like maybe he was aware that he was about to push it too far. Um, ah, okay. Which suggests yeah. that he at least Great. suspected that Viserys was like kind of letting him because then, you know, Viserys could have some kind of like, you know, internal plausible deniability or something. But like the fact that Viserys took it all the way back to, day that his father died like that that's where he started with this this stream of accusations right. told me right. that it's been something he's been maybe subconsciously or kind of like ignoring right. or turning a blind eye to but i i don't think he was like hey wait a minute and like you know <laughs> i didn't have that impression <laughs> like the stuff that's been lingering and festering in his head is finally like okay yeah it's there you know <laughs> i think that's where we yeah. were going but he really overreached he knew his ambition. He even acknowledged that when talking to Rainier, like, oh, the courts and the Lord and ladies, they always trying to get something, you know, it's part of the, you know, it's part of the job. And I think really at that point he had reached his, like, now you fucked up now. Like, I know you and I know who you were and how you were, but like, this is it. I'm done. Yeah, I think like, up I, until think you're that right, point, I think up until that point, Viserys couldn't point to anything that Otto had done, like, 
to him or against his interests where he's like, oh, he's kind of a slime ball. Like he's kind of a string puller, but I know he has my, my best interests at heart. Right. And I think this right. was the time where he was like, oh shit. The irony is that this is going to be the thing that does him in. And I don't think it was completely bad intentioned. I mean, obviously I'm sure he was thrilled to be able to, you know, give an excuse to uh, change the uh, who's going to be the next king here. But at the same time, I mean, what else is he supposed to do? He found out this information and as far as he knows, it's true. And it's his responsibility to tell Viserys about what happened and what his brother is doing. You know, that's kind of an important thing. So, I mean... And he even does it, not in a big kind of small council to embarrass right. him. He even does it right. the right way. Exactly. Which, unlike Viserys, he goes to him one-on-one and is reluctant to even say it. I mean, it's... Right. He, he appro- I mean, what else can you do if you're whistleblowing, right? Exactly. So. You know, I, mean, I think that's the irony of it all is that the thing that takes him down is the thing he kind of didn't want to do. <laughs> Although he would have benefited from it, obviously. I did think um, that scene where he's confronting Viserys about what has happened and he's, he's not saying the details and Viserys keeps saying, go on, go on, go on, tell me. And Otto, you could say that in his mind, the wheels are turning. He's like, oh shit, Viserys isn't taking the bait. Like when he first says, Rhaenyra was at a brothel and Viserys is just like, whatever, what's the point? Right. Yeah. <laughs> the, way he, the way he really forced him to like spell it out for him felt much more calculating than Viserys has been before but it's like that thing where they say you know if somebody makes like a an offensive joke you should just say like oh I don't get it like why is that funny <laughs> and then the more they have to explain it the more like awkward and stuttery they become like I think uh, Viserys has known for a long while that that Otto wasn't playing entirely on his team um which is why he has several times gone to Lionel Strong to for for unpartial advice uh it's yeah good point uh, I think he's always been sort of no, he always known that that Otto was representing some other interests than than just the the crown. Um, also, mm. just quick quick in that Harwin Strong, we saw him, and that's good. Uh, so it was just yeah, <laughs> but but yeah, <laughs> I love it. Whatever gives you happiness. Um, okay, so let maybe let's move to the other sort of try. Uh, side of the triangle of these specific relationships, which is now Visser, um, sorry, which is now Alicent and Rhaenyra, who have a deeply moving conversation. It feels like they're, if not friends again, that they can speak honestly to each other. Um, Alicent sympathizes with the dilemma Rhaenyra's in, that she has to go and find a suitor and listens to Rhaenyra complain that she doesn't want to be married off and just become a womb. Um, obviously, Rhaenyra subtle as nothing um realizing that's exactly what's happened to alicent right i i feel that somehow in the conversation about whether rhaenyra had slept with damon there was almost a jealousy and it's not like i'm in seriousness standing the idea that alicent and rhaenyra had a thing for each other it's just i do think there's something about when you have a close female friend and a boyfriend comes in or a love interest comes in it can destabilize that relationship and there's a sort of I didn't approve of this. This came from nothing. I'm not sure how I feel about this. That felt to me incredibly true to life. But there was a kind of possessive jealousy, which I rather liked from Alison towards Renera. Yeah, um, especially because she's the she's the kind of grown up one, I think. And you know, speaking about sort of real world or you know realistic female dynamics, like I think there's you know she was kind of like the mature one who like did what she was supposed to, and um, that there's a, a kind of resentment or yeah jealousy that like maybe Renera is not going to follow that same path. 
kind of like a big sister saying I'm the one that always has to, you know, make sure everything's right and I got to be responsible while pit sister gets to, you know, tear ass around the place and cut up. <laughs> you see, I'm not even sure that she was, to Sarah's point, jealous that Renera gets to forge her own path. I think she kind of fears for her. I, I feel that with Alicent, despite seeing her having to endure sex with Viserys, that there's a safety in just doing it the way society wants it done. And a certain protection, a sort of conservative with a small C, of just playing by the rules and let the rules take you. And I think she's just worried for Alison going completely outside of the rules and what will happen to you, what will happen to your reputation, what will happen to, you know, the safety of your position at court. I felt it was more... Not envy, but concern. Yeah, I, I think, yeah, I think the, I don't believe that or I didn't get the impression that it was envy either, but more jealousy in the sense of like that, that protective impulse, right? Where it's like you want to protect the things that you have and keep them close. Right. Rather than, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I actually got a but more soul concerning stepmother vibe. And this may be because I'm poisoned from how I feel about Allison from reading the book. So that could possibly be it. But I felt that it was not that great uh true it was true oh okay not that like great like your dad married a woman that is not that far apart in age from you but here she is asserting some kind of you know maternal role like i'm best for you like you know i have to you have to do these things i'm worried about you in that kind of way your father and i worked very hard to find you Mm -hmm. yeah yeah that is what i got that is the vibe that i got absolutely and and yet some of that maternal maybe condescension is warranted because at the end when you know the maester comes in with an an a, a, mm-hmm. abortive potion, mm-hmm. it's it's clear that I mean number one she scandalised her dad sending this to her, but she's also you get the feeling she hasn't considered it like right. she hasn't sat sat there and thought oh shit I I mean I didn't have sex with the guy everyone thought I did but I did have sex with Kristen Cole and right. actually should I be worried about being pregnant so. I think there is a naivete. We'll get into it with the two Renera um, love scenes. But I think Alicent, to me, I didn't like her in previous episodes. I thought she was more scheming. In this one, I thought she actually came across quite well because I, I felt there was authentic consideration both for her husband and for her stepdaughter. Yeah. And she puts herself on the line in that conversation with Viserys where she says, like, I believe her. I really don't think she did this. She swears to me that she did. You know what I mean? Like, there, there could easily be repercussions for her. Um, if she if she goes out on a limb like that and then it turns out not to be yeah that, that was very bold yeah she really stuck up for her yeah i think that it's quite obvious that allison is more into the faith of seven and and their like scheme of beliefs than uh and the seven kingdoms scheme of beliefs and then is. it seems like the whole no- knowledge yeah 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 of course viserys is also angry but in a different set in different way but it's it's so i can sort of feel the difference between the the targaryens and the rest of the kingdom and how scandalous scandalized they are about the notion of of uh you know targaryens being with targaryen mm, i agree also, when Viserys asks and asks and asks i also felt that there was a a sort of yes he says to to her later on that she is not able to to go and father as many bastards as she like but in the in the exchange with hightower it seemed like he was saying well she is a dragon yeah your rules are not the same for her i feel like in that respect it reminds me of damon saying to the sea snake like i can talk shit about my brother all i want but you don't 
say anything about him like that there's a yeah there's a different set of rules for them um among yeah themselves. like like I, no one's going to talk about my daughter being a slut apart from me yeah the, um mm-hmm. but I, but i think that patrick makes a really acutely superb point about are you ruling as a westerosi or are you ruling as a targ and do you interpret ethics as, as a westerosi or as a targ and I feel that this episode was the first time I felt we were really getting into that fascinating debate that George set up in Game of Thrones with Danny, which is you can, you've landed here for many generations. And in a sense, I find Viserys suppresses his Targaryen nature. Maybe that's because he's not a dragon rider and it's subconscious, but he kind of rules as a Westerosi person, right? He doesn't marry into his family. He takes but one, not one wife. He kind of rules according to constitutional monarchy right like he isn't just using his dragon for power willy-nilly whereas you get the feeling with Damon. well Damon number one asserts it like i want to have multiple wives even if that's not really his targetness but just wanting power and um, danny you get the feeling uh, not danny uh Rhaenyra has that enjoyment of her targ aspect and that was also what we saw with Danny, right? Like she tried to rule as a fair, just Westerosi ruler, but actually just in, you know, even in the books, as far as we've seen when she's leaving Marine is just, you know, in unleashing her targness. So I feel we're starting to see that debate here. And I really find that fascinating when it comes to targs and Westeros. I yeah. feel like that targ exceptionalism thing that Jaharis, you know, called about with the faith militant does not and will not apply to women at all. And we're going to see that. But also the hunt last time also sort of showed that he buys into the whole Westerosi mythos uh, thing, having to, to go on a boar hunt and oh, suddenly a white stag that uh, is, is good, is a good omen for whom? For the dragon, dragon, dragons don't need good omens. They have, they, they dream, they have fire. And that, that's what I f- felt like what Rhaenyra was doing when she let the white stag live was, I, what do I care about a white stag? That doesn't change anything for me. Yeah. Killing I mean, that one. I don't need to pursue mm. this thing that they think is important just because they say it is. Yeah. Just for this relationship, I was just very uh, relieved that there was a second win for Rhaenyra and Alicent. If they had uh, been estranged from episode two onwards, I would have been pretty disappointed. That's about it. Yeah, I agree. Um, anyone else for anything on the sort of Alison, Rhaenyra, Viserys, Otto um, events at court? Maybe you put it that way on any of these relationships and power relationships. Just for the dismissal itself, Viserys did a really uncharacteristically good job of laying out why Otto is unsuitable as hand, so it does make me curious when he gets reinstated what uh, justification Viserys is going to use. And that's a, that's a question for I know. four or five episodes later. <laughs> maybe in this season, maybe not. I don't know. Let's, let's see where we, we shake out. Um... Okie dokie, right, so let's move maybe to the meat of this episode. Um, There are two very fascinating um, scenes, sex scenes involving Rhaenyra. The first is the one we'll get into first, which is uh, Rhaenyra disguising herself as a boy, sneaking off into King's Landing, being taken to a brothel by her uncle, um, being told that she should, you know, take sexual enjoyment where she wishes, that it's as important for women as for men. And he basically, I don't know, is grooming her. He comes on to her. She responds. It feels like they're going to have sex. Many people in the episode think that they have. 
but it feels like at one moment he pulls back he realizes he can and maybe has a pang of conscience or realizes he doesn't actually need to for the to get out it's filmed it reminded me a bit of aladdin at the start but as we've already said it is filmed in a very illicit it is filmed in a very sort of like illicit voyeuristic um very dark barely visible way they're at great pains to show the sexual frisson between uncle and niece without it being exploitative which is a very fine line to tread I think they did a very good job with this scene, particularly with looking at Damon and what he was processing and why he decided to ultimately just walk out after having a bit of a tantrum. Uh, I also, on a well, not on a secondary read, but having other people point out that Damon deliberately took off Rhaenyra's cap while they were in the brothel made me think that this was a deliberate act to be seen and it was provocative for reasons that we'll see in a later scene with Viserys and Damon. Uh, what else do I have to say about this? Yeah, it was it was good. I feel bad for not being disturbed by the incest. <laughs> I think we're so warmed up to it in the dark because I wasn't that disturbed by it either. It was more to me the coercive nature of um, taking a very impressionable young girl. You've just come back from this heroic victory and basically deliberately turning her on and then not fulfilling that and then basically leaving her to go off and work that off in whatever way she wants but the whole thing was just very manipulative in so many ways yeah at the risk of repeating my Megor debacle i <laughs> i i think that for very obvious reasons the brothel part of this excursion is taking up a lot of the the kind of critical attention um but i do i do really think that they laid the groundwork that he genuinely cares about her and wants her to be you know safe or happy or secure or whatever not only in the conversation that they have in the godswood um but also in what he takes her to see before they go to the brothel specifically the show that's showing like you know her claim mm-hmm. is not secure among the small folk in fact she's like well i don't give a crap what they think. like they don't matter and he's like they do matter because you're going to be ruling them and that sense of sort of breaking her out of her her myopic palace bubble and introducing her you know not just to the to the pleasures that we pay for but um you know to this sense that like really like you're you're not as secure as you think you are you need to reach for this you need to push for this you need to take this um and i can help you do that and i i mean obviously there is self-interest there but i do think that he's um he's trying to like take her along with him i guess in a very kind of realistic way do you think do you think he cares for her i do yeah, I think he's. I, I think yeah. he sees himself I mean, in her. So it's you know maybe it's narcissistic, but I do think that like he sees a younger version of himself where she's like desperate for love and lonely mm-hmm. and set aside for reasons that aren't her fault. And, I got that too, and I thought yeah. I'm being manipulated by Damon. I don't no. know. I'll I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's getting you too. <laughs> no, I think he. I think he truly like wants the the dynasty to be better wants Targs to be Targs and sees a spark in her that could make that happen or help that happen. I mean, I looked at them and I thought they'd probably be very happy together. Yeah, totally. They understand each other. They're into each other. I mean, in the context of a world where Targs do get married as family members, this could probably be a, this is probably a better marriage than Alicent and Viserys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's I not a high bar. <laughs> <laughs> Except for the I, see, I think, 
I think Alison Tinvisera is actually is a successful marriage by Westerosi standards because it's not abusive. It is respectful. Yes, there's some sort of like, you know, unwanted sex, but basically that's part of the bug. I mean, actually, I think as marriages go with big age gaps in that world, this probably is one of the best ones. Yeah, that's what I was saying. So like you can choose to see that as optimistic or you can choose to see it as sad. And I think it's kind of a little bit of both. I feel like uh, Damon does genuinely care for Rhaenyra. I agree with that. Insofar as someone like Damon could care for anyone else, I think like if a modern psychologist was to sit down with Damon, he'd probably be diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder, probably borderline personality disorder. I think he's very manipulative and and self Is he a more manipulative so I, than Otto, though? I mean, is he is he the most no. manipulative person even in this episode? No. I mean, he, he to me though, he's just flashy article. I mean, he manipulates to have sex with a young girl, but then Otto manipulates to pimp out his young girl. I don't think they're particularly different. Right. I, I'm i just saying with as far as Damon goes, I don't think it's uh, I don't think that he would genuinely care for Rhaenyra if she didn't have the position at court that she had. So is that genuine? I don't think he would care about her if she weren't a Targaryen, but I don't think he right. cares about her because she's the heir. I think he I think he genuinely like feels like feels a kinship with her. It doesn't hurt. It doesn't hurt that she's the heir, does it? I mean, let's yeah. be honest. Right. I think it's the wonderful package. Yeah. She's yeah. hot. She's a tag. She gets me. She yeah. has a claim to the throne. I also have a claim to the throne that's a little bit shit. If we put our claims together, we trump everyone else's claim. That's really hot. Yeah. I think that's basically yeah. the <laughs> thing. Yeah. Yeah. But is that real? Is that real? Could what does that have to do with Anira her as a person? Yeah, she is. She's she's a she's a yeah, she's a sparky targ, not a team targ. She's got some yeah. spunk. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah. She quite literally at the end of this episode. Oh, oh, no. No. <laughs> oh come on. Well the tea will take care of that. I'm, I'm glad that went that direction. That was set up as intended. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to mention that you, you are, you, Michael, you are the Otto Hightower of this podcast, just queuing me go. up to, right. to make the inference. <laughs> but isn't, it is an interesting essay question slash uh, HOTD poll on the Discord server, which listeners should join. Is Otto, are Otto and Damon really that different? Yes. They both want power. They're both willing to use young, innocent, naive girls and manipulate them and use their sexuality to get it. Yes, they're different. No. They're, yeah, they're totally different. Yeah. Go ahead, Patrick. I want to hear what you think. Okay. I, I, can, I, I can lay out a few things different. that I think are different. Uh, one of the things is that uh, Otto is obviously also pressured by his, uh, his brother to do this, first of all. That's one thing. Second of all, uh, I think... Um, it is a well i don't think damon actually is very calculating to be completely honest i think he gets in, he gets into a mood and then he does what he yeah. what was right in that mood uh yeah. while Otto, everything auto tower is is calculated and whenever he needs to do something on a whim that that's when there's uh, a, a a probability of of uh, failure in it so uh, yeah, yeah you pre- can't see you can't see Damon doing a multi-year plan. And actually, what happened on Dragonstone shows that he comes up with like slightly stupid plans that fail. Yeah, like <laughs> yep. it really Otto is, is long term. Damon is short term. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
I was trying to figure out during this whole scene how much was planned, what he was doing. Was he into her, or was he just trying to mess with Viserys? Was he trying to just be an agent of chaos? I wasn't clear, especially when, like, once once we got in there and then he stopped, I wasn't clear what was going on there at all. And um, one thing that's interesting, I don't know if you've all seen the inside the episode, is they, I wasn't even clear, 100% clear if they actually did go all the way or not. I thought they didn't, but apparently they describe him as impotent in that, like, he literally couldn't do it at Which that moment when he thought about it. they have already established, credit to the writers, his mm-hmm. dingle does not work. We learned, needs- right? Mm-hmm. We learned. Yeah. We learned about the dysfunctional bloodworm in what episode one, right? When he when he can't finish with Mysteria. True. Um, the dysfunctional yeah. bloodworm is clearly the title <laughs> oh of this episode. God. There you oh. go. There we go. Bloodworm. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> okay. The Targaryen bloodworm. Yeah. Yeah. I have, I have an, I have also. That's not what he calls it, right? Come on. I mean, say what you want for Viserys. His his bloodworm is very much functional. He may not ride a dragon, but (laughs) he is a dragon in the sack. (laughs) He he gets written. Did he set up the whole discovering? uh, Is that why he pulls the 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 hoodie off, the hat off, or did he pull the hat off to say to her, "You're a dragon. Do whatever you want," like trying to free her. Uh, it can before. be both. I think it was both. It can be yeah. both. But I think it is a setup. I mean, it's clearly a setup. You think he, he had the whole thing planned and and Mysteria just uh, double-crossed him and or, or what? I now think Mysteria is working on her own volition. Like, she, yeah. it's it seems very Damon. much that she is telling Damon, you know, in the four years you've been away, I'm now an information broker, and so I'm just passing on information that you were not being discreet at all about trying to hide. But that was my impression. He knows, I mean, he knows already from the air for a day that, you know, what happens in brothel doesn't stay in brothel, right? So he he would have no expectation of privacy which is why he disguised both her and himself and then subsequently stripped off both of those disguises in a very in a very deliberate very sort of provocative way it's control is mm-hmm. i mean it's just control you're in disguise i can reveal you when i choose i can have you when i choose i'm not sure he's even in that moment i think it's more lust than anything else but it is it is a power move because so he you- knows that that they're both at risk for being found there so do you think he was just surprised that it was Mysteria who who was uh, the power the information broker, and that that's the whole thing? He he just planned on getting caught, and and then just surprised by who caught him. Like he didn't strike me. I mean, he was hungover as f, so maybe it was like dulling right. his. But he didn't. He wasn't like oh, you, you know, or like hey, I haven't seen you in a while. He was just like, oh yeah, all right, you know, like I, I don't know. It just didn't strike me that he was like particularly taken aback by. Mm-hmm. I kind of like Patrick's interpretation that he goes with where his instincts and his fire takes him. I think this started off as a, hey, let me fuck, let me fuck with this family here and let me, let me take her out and I like her, so let me show her. I mean, one of the questions we had in the discussion on, on the Discord was, like, is she into him? And I feel like the, the seduction wasn't 
him. It was the, you can control your own destiny, you can control your sexuality, you can take control and take power because women should be able to. Like, I think that was the seduction for her. But I think she's also into him. I mean, he is a hot war hero, blonde. I mean, we're meant to see him as being sort of swaggering and charismatic. I mean, he's the embodiment of everything that she wants for herself. Going back to your question of, are he and Hightower the same? I would argue no. I think that Otto's motives are very different. I think Otto Hightower's um, kind of akin to Donald Brennan, where he understands that the success of the crown is tied to his success. So he he has a notion of mutually assured destruction. So he's not he's not doing these things to undermine Viserys. He's doing them like, to promote himself within the strong reign of Viserys. Whereas Damon could burn it all down, and I feel like he still has a sense of I'll come back out on top because I have fucking dragon. And, yeah, I you know. So I, I think that they're they're vastly different in that way. Although their actions might seem par- parallel, the motivations just inherently have to be different. Mm. Does anyone have anything else to say on this particular little love affair, or shall we move? towards the um, inevitable Rhaenyra trying to get rid of her blue balls with Kristen Cole. Can we can we talk just before we go there about like Viserys and Damon's relationship? Because I feel like we got a little bit more of that in this episode too. And I think that that has yeah. um, sort of bearing on on the, the romance or whatever it is that's... Absolutely. Oh, Sarah. What should I do? <laughs> oh, okay, okay. Um, no, I was just thinking about like sort of sort of parallel to what I was saying before about what I think his motivations are. But like when he's you know on the floor in the throne room and Viserys is finally you know sort of showing some fire, he he's telling him he's like you're the dragon, your word is truth, you decide what's true, um, and he's asking to marry Venera so that he can um, return the proper glory of the house, and I. I I mean, I think that that really crystallized sort of what we were talking about before about, you know, are you ruling as a Westerosi? Are you ruling as a dragon? Um, And for me, it was an echo of like when the two dragons showed up on Dragonstone and suddenly it wasn't about the normies anymore. It's literally just dragon on dragon. But that was. Yeah. And only dragons neutralize dragons Mm -hmm. by virtue of them having fucking weapons of mass destruction. Right. So. But I think, I mean, in I, a way, it made sense. And I think you're right. This is back to that Targ versus Westerosi Ruda. Yeah. And I actually do have some sympathy with Damon on that. Like the idea of trying to rule against your, your own inner nature. Yeah. Um, we've just seen that happen to Danny and we've seen it not work. So, yeah. I mean, I, yeah. I don't, yeah. You know, like the, the sort of extreme worst case scenario of that would be Magor, which is something that comes up later in the, in the discussions. Mm. Um, you know, certain where it's like he's like, no, I'm gonna. It's literally just fire and blood. But I don't, I don't have that impression from Damon. And I feel like part of their, you know, sort of Jasmine Aladdin trip to the flea bottom was um, to <laughs> yeah. to show yeah. that as well, like that he's he understands humanity like beyond the walls of the palace. And I, I think that that's mm-hmm. a really important aspect of him. That, yeah, and doesn't make him a bad ruler, right? Mm-hmm. The fact that he does you know, get out from his studies where he's building his Lego world and mm-hmm. get out of people. Yeah. It's not... It's better rule. Which, interesting touch that um, old Valeria has become bigger mm-hmm. since last we saw him. So he's been busy over the intervening years with his model. Uh, okay, so Eddie, um, anything else yeah. on anything that isn't Rhaenyra and Kristen? I have one. I think I want to hammer home that I, I completely think that that question, can I let me marry Rhaenyra 
was what he wanted out of it ultimately oh, yeah. the whole sex scene yeah because I, yes. I, I i tried i think he tried to force her hand force viserys's hand to uh to get you know make them an honest couple because that's a thing that targaryens can do there's two things that went wrong with that plan he couldn't go through it he had a right. uh, a limp dinkus and uh and and uh the second thing was that viserys is too westerosi he's too much drunk the westerosi kool-aid and would never and thinks and and literally looks like he thinks it's disgusting that they're to get they were the possibility of them being together. Oh yeah, he's he's totally Westerosi in that respect. So he can do mixed age relationships with <laughs> consorts, which is very Westerosi, but he can't do the incest. And it's like to me, well, you know, yeah, a girl that's basically your own daughter, uh, like the best friend of your own daughter, that's fine. But uh... <laughs> yeah, don't, don't marry any. Uh, and objectively, yeah, yeah. he's yeah. had two yeah, they're perfectly great. reasonable solutions to the storm that we know is coming, right? Either to marry her to Damon or to marry her to Aegon. And I'm not saying that I'm in favor of betrothing toddlers, but like that was another moment where you're like, wow, this could actually be like a, a really solid solution given the, the sort of ethos of this world. And he was like, no, mm. you know. Uh, yeah, so he's almost like yeah, and these aren't these, these aren't stupid solutions. I think it's important that we give Damon that credit, mm-hmm. even though he has obviously lured um, his niece to a brothel. Let us now move, in the interest of time, um, to the final coupling of this show. So to summarise, um, Rhaenyra then goes back to her palace um, and finds the deliciously gorgeous Kristen Cole there initiate sex with him and this is very interesting and i think this is where we could get into some debate about how it's filmed because suddenly the lighting gets warmer the music becomes more romantic there's flickering candles so it's almost played as if from her perspective so in her head it's a really romantic deflowering and consensual on both sides but what we the viewer see through that is that Kristen cole is almost kind of sighing and looking away, knowing that he has no choice but to perform for his princess. Whether we believe he has no choice, I think he probably has no choice. And so there are two very very different ways of reading this scene. One is the way it's shown by HBO, which I think is very much showing her interpretation. And then the fact that he, again, like Alison, doesn't say no, but probably feels that consent isn't even an option. I'm not so sure he has no choice because, I mean, couldn't he... I mean, if he says no, how's he going to get in trouble? He shouldn't be having sex with, with the princess. So, I mean, he's doing his duty to not have sex with her and he, sh- he shouldn't be having sex with anyone, to be honest. But, I mean, so I don't feel like he has no choice here. That's what I wasn't clear about was what they were going at. Like, I was flip-flopping during the scene in my head. Like, does at first, I really, really wanted him to say, no, 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 I can't do that. And then I'm like, well, are they going for, you know, the whole bodyguard thing? Like, you know, I've always had the hots for her or not. And or not, I'm not really clear on what they were. And then, and then he, like, you know, he took his white cloak and he folded it up and, like, looked at it, you know, kind of, like, losing, I'm losing my honor here. So I was like, okay, so maybe he doesn't want this. But then the actual sex scene itself was, it was at least filmed romantically. And it seemed, you know, like, like we got a close up of, of their intertwined hands. And it's, it wasn't just like passion, although it was passionate, but it was like, 
it was romantic. So I wasn't really clear on what they were going for all along with it. If And I think that's kind of what we were supposed to think is we're not supposed yeah, to be. Yeah, ambiguous. But if you think of the previous episode where he's thanking her and saying that, you know, my family's name was never inscribed into the great book. You have, you know, raised my family to this height. I, I it, He could have clearly said no, but I'm not sure. I think he feels under huge obligation to her. So it's a mix of he'd probably like to keep his virginity and his oath as a knight of the king's guard. Uh, plus, he also has the hots for Rhaenyra in some way. And then he's just clearly aware that this woman is going to be queen very likely one day. And so it would be unwise to refuse. And when you look at the morning after where Rhaenyra is kind of just smiling and having fun and... Uh, Kristen Cole has this super heiress Oakard look of embarrassment or just regret and mourning. And you can see that this has profoundly affected these two characters in different ways, which I think will be very interesting going forward for Kristen Cole. Yeah, he looks like a fallen man, a man who's he's disgusted at himself, but she just looks all super happy. The very first thing that he said to her in the scene is stop. And I, I think that that should pretty clearly matters right like that i mean you know there's been a lot of talk about this already and i don't really want to get all that into it but like if the genders had been reversed and that had been sort of the the foundation for this subsequent exchange like there would be a lot more questions about you know who took advantage of whom but but i do i do agree with the ambiguity and i think part of it is um how much they focused on how long it took them to get naked which is like a weird you know on one hand she's like stripping him of the white cloak and she's stripping him of the armor and clearly of like symbolism that she doesn't understand but he does um but there's also you know a lot of time arguably for him to kind of like cool down or or realize that it's not um so there is, there is. Or say no again, or just walk off, right? I mean, she's not restraining him. Yeah, physically. but, uh, but yeah, it just, it just made me so sad. Like it really did. I mean, I, I understood it as yeah. sort of reading romantic and, and certainly I think that was well done from her point of view, but his eyes, the whole scene were just like these sad, you know, and the, the sort of longing glances at the cloak, like you guys are like, I mean, I just, it was so clear to me that he was kind of already broken and whether he was broken by like his own desires like Eris Ocard or whether he was broken by like knowing that that he didn't really have a choice or whatever you know I, mean, I think it was a little bit of all of those things and um it was just really sad I liked a lot in this episode the symbolism of her she gives him the white cloak and then she takes it off I, I enjoyed that bit took it away yeah, yeah. and I think that's where the, the realization is yeah they can give it as much and they can take it right away you know, and that's mm-hmm. my lot in life as a lowborn person. I think for me, Aww. I think for me, the the biggest tragedy with the two of them um, is how consistently they misread each other and how badly. Like, and for me, one of the the sort of moments that spoke so much to that was when um, she turns back during the that Bracken Blackwood altercation that happens and he says you know don't look princess and he kind of like ushers her gently up the right. stairs and she's like what no I want to see who got stabbed you know like right. Um, right like you know on the other side of it like she sees him as this guy with battle experience and he's brave and he's strong and he's um you know clearly this this kind of like I don't know bravado sort of like she has I feel like she has an image of him in the same way that he has an image of her and that those images are (laughs) are you know sort of very mutually complicating and like wildly inaccurate of like what you know what either one wants or what either one is is thinking at any given time which is really sad because I don't think either one of them is is taking advantage of that or or doing it on purpose it's just 
you know, never the twain shall meet. Communication for me, breakdown. For me, the biggest tragedy was we didn't get more naked Fabian Frankel. <laughs> we only got like a few seconds here and there. We're like, oh, wait, there's some chest. Oh, it's gone. Fuck. <laughs> but once and again, they... let's, let's talk about the fact that, you know, compared to how this would have been done in Game of Thrones. Right. It's chalk and cheese, isn't it? I mean, it's so right. fleeting. It's it's male, not yeah. female. It's it's yeah. very different. And again, much darker. It's just a much, much mm -hmm. darker scene. I think that contributes to the voyeuristic aspect that I right. that I got from it, right? Where right. it's like it's it's almost like the cinematographer or the director would have saying, like, this isn't for you. Like you shouldn't be seeing this, right. you know. Right. Yeah, I mean most of the scenes there was like something in the foreground and we were looking through a window or through whatever. And like so you and that and that also kind of blocked it conveniently blocked certain things, you know, <laughs> from view. So like like you never fully see like his butt. You never see hers at all. Like but a, you never see his. You only see like part of it here. You see his chest for a sausage. fleeting second. Yeah. <laughs> Back in the day. Was there somebody spying on them? Was somebody watching them? It was just the camera. I think it was just the was camera. Just, was it, it was just us. Okay. It was meant to yeah. evoke that we were spying on them, okay. I think. Right. Okay. That's what I thought they were for. I could be wrong. Okay. That makes sense. And it and it definitely mm. yeah, it definitely felt that way, which like yeah, I thought made it feel more intimate and more it wouldn't surprise me if someone wasn't there because like isn't it the case that in game of friends we always assume that everyone has little birds and little spies and everyone's got the servants paid how isn't there a handmaid outside the room ready to whisper back to the maester or to the dad or someone that Kristen cole i mean he spent the night he didn't i mean he was off his guard post surely someone's figured that out yeah, yeah, when, yeah. Like, when does his relief guard, you know, like, lace it back up, boys. We gotta, we gotta change the guard. I know, that's what I was wondering. When does he sleep if he's supposed to be the only one outside her room in the night and with her in the day? Gotta make sacrifices in the King's God, you know. Maybe there's, like, a Westerosi siesta at the hour of, the, <laughs> you know, sloth or something that we haven't seen yet. <laughs> but, but, the hour but, of but, sloth. Things are kind of cold. Like, we don't snitch on each other. Or something like because none of them are virgins, are they? For real, it's like the wall. They're not actually virgins. Would you think he was a virgin? No, he said he had an adventurous youth and he could have married a few <laughs> different people, right? Like had a conversation about it in the woods where where he's like, no, I'm, you know, yeah. I got around. I'm like, yeah. yeah. Which, how do you think this plays out? I mean, we know how it plays out in the books, but how do you terms... feel the show's gonna handle this politically? Because now Damon might think he still has a hold on her from where he left off with her, but she's now got a new boo. In terms of motivations for Kristen Cole, I think one uh, motivation going through his mind was, you know, this night I lost my virtue, my, my oath, and but you were just getting your rocks off because you were horny and in the mood. And, you know, for you it was Tuesday, for me it was everything. And that, that might oh be a very God. interesting motivating kingmaker scene. I don't agree with yeah. that. I think he's going to resent her for it in some kind of way. Yeah. But do you think he's going to, like, are they going to play like he resents her for, for actually doing it, maybe even invoking that, like talking about it? Or do you think he's just going to say, I thought you loved me, and then be angry with her from then, then I, on? I hope that oh. we don't get him coming to her and being like, that was so great, let's run away. Because, like, that's clearly not the vibe that he had the next day at least like maybe it was mm -hmm. in the room but he he looked i mean like you know like you guys said like he looked broken right and like i, I hope i mean i know that's one of the possibilities that's laid out in in the book that like he he proposes elopement and you know you know whatever to her but 
I hope that they find a way to motivate that if that's the way they go, because as it stands right now, mm. I will be shocked if that's what happens. It does mean that for the first time where the book is ambiguous, because there are multiple tellings of the same tale, that they are based favoring the mushroom version, which is <laughs> that she's seduced him. Yeah. My favorite. Right. Um, yeah, exactly. I would but say I, 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 I you should. The mushroom right. there. <laughs> Right. I would say they're favoring just the most interesting version from a character standpoint, which often happens to be the mushroom account. Mm -hmm. But the again, the book Kristen Cole we get is not at all interesting or complex. He's just some guy that just got rejected for being yeah. outlandish in his scenarios so that's not going to work on tv and I'll, I'll say that is one of the it, it does mean if they're following the mushroom version that she's now going to go into the arms of harwin strong doesn't it though which could be interesting i did wonder i don't think the timeline works out but i did wonder if um and and mainly because mr dr blood who has not read fire and blood at the end of the episode he goes that baby's gonna come out dornish <laughs> So I like I wondered if there, you know, there's like a chance with this with this way that they're threading it that like her first one might she smells be Dornish. Well, well, fortunately, for the actor, the right? There will be no babies. At the yeah, at the end of this episode, the um the holy hand grenade of Antioch came with its treasured moon tea. Yeah, but if she drinks it, she's admitting that she did sleep. Ostensibly with Damon. I mean, obviously that's not who it was. But if you know, she's like, "Thanks, great." You know, instead of being like, "I don't need this. I told you I didn't sleep with anyone." Like, it's a very, it's I don't know. Yeah, yeah, it is shady. Anything else on anything else in this episode? Andor, what do you think we're getting next? I haven't seen the trailer. Is there going to be a time jump? Is it just going to continue on? Didn't Damon also have to kill the Sea Lord's son, maybe in the next episode. Like, I don't know how they're going to get all that stuff in too. I'm not sure at all, but. You mentioned it this one so i assume it's someone coming, but... was falling under a horse which made me think that damon will be killing his wife first Ooh. Uh, Ooh. oh yeah. it's, it's gone. poor thing um, i really hope they do justice to re-royce like she's just been slagged off um, whenever she's mentioned so that would make me happy if if she had she had some clever dialogue or whatever it was actually quite pretty mm-hmm. i hope she has a pug <laughs> yeah you know, he hasn't had children with her, right? And he makes yeah. out it's because she is a bronze bitch and she's ugly. But maybe it's just because of his bloodworm mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. Henry maybe she's actually going to turn Cleves up. Scenario. Yeah, maybe she's going to turn up. She's going to be really pretty. Although Anna Please apparently had rotten teeth. In the conversation that she was having with Damon about how what happened to her mother made her so wary at best and and you know on some level terrified of what like struck me as very queen elizabeth the first um who you know deliberately remained single throughout her entire reign you know for a lot of reasons but one of them being what happened to Boleyn and what a nightmare that was and um mm. so i don't know it was just it just struck me as like a historical a pretty strong historical um parallel that i thought was really interesting to make like in that moment and in that conversation yeah, definitely. Um, to your question of time jump, um, the actresses who play the young Alicent and um, and Renera are only in one more episode, according to IMDb. So presumably we're going to get a big time jump after, either during the next episode or at the end of it. Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's 
so lovely talking about this episode with all of you because I felt last week we we ended on such a sort of negative Nancy note where we were just like, oh, this is shit and that's shit, which it was. So it was justified, but it was no. just like, I almost felt like I was talking myself out of even when I'm watching this watch this anymore. And I think this episode did what we all love, right? We people who were in Vogue and came to it from the books, which is getting into personal dynamics and character growth and politics. Right. I mean, that's what brings right. us to George Armand. So mm-hmm. this felt like a very well done George and given all the sex, not exploitative, yeah. but kind of exploitative where it needed to be and how it needed to be, which I just right. think kudos to HBO because this is not where we were. A few no, years this, was, ago. this was beautifully right. handled. Right. Um, yeah. And, yeah. and they really listen to us as a fandom, I feel, but in the best way, like fan service in the best way. This this might sound wrong, but from now on, I, I'm looking forward to sexy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm like, seriously. <laughs> Before Anna was like, yeah, I'd rather have a, a battle with some blood than, than a sex scene because the only reference I have was Game of Thrones and, and that wasn't really appealing to me. And it's sexed with a purpose, isn't it? Because it brings character forward through plot rather than sex position. I mean, it's it's sex with an actual meaning, which is so different. And a good part of life. I mean, like so much of medieval politics and politics in general in that era was about sex and procreation and which houses. You, I mean, it's kind of weird not, you've got to have sex in it. It's just you've got to handle it responsibly. And I feel that they're there. Yeah, so far. absolutely. The good news is this direct this director is doing the next episode and episode nine, the penultimate. Wow. One. So, okay. So cool. Awesome. So that well, on that happy, copacetic, lovely wolfish note. Uh, should we get a final aru? <laughs> Y'all are a bunch of nutters and I love you for it. Well, it's kind of weird, isn't it? Because Queen Elizabeth's probably one of the very few monarchs in history who married the love of her life. And I'm sure that made things easier for her. Mm. Um, and it's apropos of today's podcast. When you so, happen to fall in love with a prince, uh, life goals. Although he was absolutely impecunious and half his family were Nazis and he had literally was stateless and had no money. Um, so it's yeah, not no as if... No one's perfect. <laughs> people were very angry. People were not thinking this was a great match, even though he was dreamy. And there is a little bit of, of the Damon about it, right? Because he met her when I think he was like 19 and she was 14 or something. I mean, yeah. And he was very much the Otto Hautier of it was his um, godfather, Lord Mountbatten. He definitely wanted his his family, which is Prince Philip, to have have a seat on the throne and have children who were kings. So he kind of engineered the match. God, it is a bit Damon and Rhaenyra. Ooh. Y'all are a bunch of nutters and I love you for it. But I feel like, do you think we're being insensitive to people who actually suffer from impotence problems? Because it is a real problem and it's not something to laugh at. Well, maybe we can well, Do you think they really were going for that with him? I mean, I'm not. I thought it was more of a he couldn't get it up with her because he realized like I can't do it with her. Like emotional issues. I think he has. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Justifiable emotional issues because she's a niece, and as much as he thinks he's a targ, he is raised in Westeros, right? So I think it's like you can talk the big targ game, but when it comes to actually fucking your niece, 
maybe your body's going to be like, no, she's your niece. But I do. So no, yeah. I don't think he has ongoing impotence what, problems. It, we did already see that he does, though. So I mean, I really do think that like, it's, an, it's actually an important part of his character, which I think makes it sort of like more respectful than if it was just oh, like an excuse for him not to consummate with her. Oh, okay. Because it suggests, at least to me, that he is not um, immune to the the kind of emotional consequences of his own actions. Like he's not doing it. Like he's actually kind of conflicted. Mm. Um, and also that he he genuinely craves like affection. Like he doesn't just want it. He's not like a theon, right? Where he just goes around and like sticks it in whatever. Like he he you know needs clearly wants that oh, kind of goodness. physical affection. Aemon is like the the Prince Harry of this world. He just wants love. Right. He just he's, he's so he's just a three-year-old temper tantrum throwing little boy mm-hmm. who basically just wants his mum to rub his head and give him a hug yeah. you know I mean he's just this or his brother cavernous hunger for yeah. love yeah I mean that is yeah. he's Prince yeah. Harry he's, he reminds me a little bit of Homelander like that only not quite as psychopathic oh yeah <laughs> yeah are we gonna get I, a milk fetish <laughs> I think I don't think he's clinically impotent yeah. I don't think that's the thing. I think he's. I think it's basically just his family getting into his head and and messing with his uh, like, an, like an emotional <laughs> impotence, maybe. Like, I, yeah, I don't. I don't know. What yeah, like be, exactly. Yeah. When whenever, like you, you know, whenever you're sad, you might not be into it as yeah. much. Just how, <laughs> how reasonable people. Yeah. precious bodily fluids are. Yeah. I mean, it clearly works. Yeah. I mean, you know, it clearly works. We're going to see that later, right? Right, right. Yeah, I mean, I just think... And we all know the blood worm is the longest dragon of all. Oh, Jesus. <laughs> you wear the blood worm when it is roused to its mighty wrath. There you go. House words. <laughs> which which uh, reminds me, we still... There we go, the there we go. Those are house <laughs> words for wear the blood worm. Uh, also, also, we have the spunk. Oh, um, oh. oh. Y'all are a bunch of nutters and I love you for it. Just really fast, was I the only one that enjoyed that Bracken beatdown? I really enjoyed it. Oh no, that was fun. That was fun. I was surprised we didn't even talk about it actually. Can you imagine being the actor who was like I got to call someone a dumb cunt on House of Dragons and I got stabbed in the belly. You know, 